I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV. Well, here we are in 2023, and we have joining us today, Kevin Garcia. Kevin, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. One of the reasons why you're here is uh, really caught our eye was an article that you wrote in Filter Magazine last November, all about the National Harm Reduction Conference, which we're going to talk about in depth that and its relationship or lack of to tobacco harm reduction. You're a graduate, you're a graduate student or a graduate research assistant at Colorado State University. Why don't you tell us about that first? Yeah, so uh, I'm currently in a MSW MPH program at Colorado State University. So getting to do a degree in uh, social work and public health. And, uh, you know, for me, I think the values and ethics of social work align very closely with those of harm reduction. And uh, before I knew that harm reduction was considered a public health initiative, you know, I was practicing public health with the harm reduction philosophy in my position at the Tri-County Health Department. And uh, I've had I've had little exposure to harm reduction as part of my official coursework. But the philosophy of harm reduction acts as a guide to the way I approach my work inside and outside of the classroom. So at every opportunity I have in the classroom, I speak about harm reduction to my professors and my colleagues during, during classroom discussions. You know, every time I hear something incorrect or misrepresented, such as a vaping causes popcorn lung, you know, I call the person into a conversation and I attempt to facilitate a class discussion about it so we can all learn from each other. You know, let's talk about some literature. Let's share some information. What do I know? What do you know? What can we learn from each other? A lot of the assignments I write, you know, I, I focus them on harm reduction. And uh, one of the things I've done is uh, I volunteered to help facilitate a harm reduction training for my uh, graduate social work course peers. And I also helped my professor revamp the substance use and harm reduction course module because uh, I felt like I could use a little bit of work. And as far as the conference, I thought overall, you know, it was a wonderful conference as always. I think it was my uh, second or third one. But uh, the one main thing that really stood out to me was there was only one tobacco harm reduction panel. And it included myself, Helen Redman, and Pat Denning. And uh, I felt like... Uh, Overall, in the conference, I mean, despite so much knowledge surrounding the more traditional harm reduction topics, particularly associated with opioids and stimulants, you know, the lack of uh, tobacco harm reduction knowledge was astounding to me, especially since uh, individuals at these harm reduction conferences are con often considered experts. And you yourself actually are an expert, correct me if I'm wrong, with a lot of street level experience running activations. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, as part of uh, one of my other positions, I work as a harm reduction content expert for Next Distro. And uh, they're a male-based harm reduction organization that mail supplies to uh, individuals living in rural communities that can't access harm reduction services. And uh, yeah, and my first harm reduction job that I got when I moved to Colorado was, uh, was street-based. So I was doing a lot of harm reduction work on the street, you know, providing naloxone, sterile syringes, was giving people trainings, meeting people where they're at. And, uh, you know, I feel like that experience really, uh, really helped me get to where I am today. You know, uh, many people that I met were, for example, injecting heroin. So we'd suggest other routes of administration, you know, if they, if they couldn't find a vein. If they wanted to continue injecting despite their complications, you know, we treated them as humans with dignity, respect, support, and we help them have their autonomy, but also stay as safe as possible. And that made me think today, you know, 
why is that so difficult for people to grasp when it comes to tobacco? Why is tobacco not considered something that we could practice harm reduction with? Yeah, it does seem strange that the very public health professionals who seem to support harm reduction strategies when it comes to, say, drug use and HIV AIDS Mm -hmm. are the very same who simply refuse to accept tobacco uh, harm reduction as a legitimate concept. Very much so. You know, I've seen such a, yeah, such a disconnect. You know, I feel like even the, uh, yeah, that, that huge disconnect. Like, I guess I could start with the uh, with the misinformation surrounding vaping. I feel like it particularly started after the whole Ivali, where uh, the popcorn lung was coming up and people believed that uh, vaping was leading to these uh, lung illnesses. And I mean, I've seen... You know, I've seen medical doctors facilitating trainings about HIV, saying that uh, vaping is worse than smoking. You know, uh, I spoke at a Stanford conference about vaping where every panel, except for mine, essentially, uh, you know, every panel was basically saying vaping is very harmful and addictive. We need to ban it. Mine was the only one kind of like talking about harm reduction. You know, I, I always see such a focus on saving the children when it comes to vaping but also undermining the fact that adults need harm reduction. And importantly, I've seen a lot of undermining the fact that smoking kills. Like, we shouldn't be banning drugs in the first place, but why are we banning vapes and flavors and not cigarettes? You know, to me, that that's that's so ridiculous and so contrary to, to harm reduction, you know. And uh, I remember working at the, heart, at the health department, for example. I was doing harm reduction work, and people knew I, I vaped. But instead of having a conversation with me, somebody posted a study on my office door stating how harmful vaping was for your health. And so just just a lot of these things I've seen are astounding to me. And and it's particularly prominent in the United States, which I've noticed. At this major, you know, international harm reduction conference, there was, what, about 2,800 harm reductionists uh, Mm -hmm. there. Uh, But very few uh, focused on tobacco harm reduction. Yes, I would say, uh, yeah, it was basically just the one panel of tobacco harm reduction where it was me, Helen, and Pat Denning, and uh, yeah, nobody really talked about it, although I did see people, I saw more people smoking, but I did see a few people vaping, but uh, yeah, it was just not a conversation that was had, like the more, uh, you know, the more societally accepted drugs like nicotine or alcohol, they, they weren't talked about at all, which was a uh, just kind of kind of interesting to me because the use of these substances is so high, as well as the harms associated with them. Isn't the public health propaganda and the moralizing and and the hysterical kind of you know aspects and notes and tones of it? Isn't that actually what you're fighting when you're fighting for harm reduction? And sh- should those people then not recognize the level of propaganda from public health when it comes to uh, safer nicotine products? Yeah, and I, I completely agree. You know, when uh, when harm reduction first started, you know, it wasn't evidence based. It wasn't publicly funded. It was largely, uh, you know, largely considered to be something uh, ineffective and harmful. But some people believed in it, and here we are with uh, with strong support for many types of harm reduction throughout the country. But uh, w- one thing that I've noticed that acts as a barrier, I think, to to the tobacco harm reduction is that, for example, in many harm reduction organizations such as a uh, the National Harm Reduction Coalition. You know, they're considered one of the, the, the biggest harm reduction organizations in the United States. And uh, uh, they have little to no information, to my knowledge, about tobacco, nicotine, vaping, tobacco harm reduction. 
And, you know, they're one of the most prominent orgs in the country. And a lot of uh, folks follow what they do. And I feel like there needs to be conversations that open up the avenue to talking about tobacco harm reduction as part of harm reduction. And uh, something I've been thinking of, too, that might help is uh, it's just doing away with the name tobacco harm reduction, you know, because it's still harm reduction. We're simply just focusing on tobacco instead of a uh, heroin, for example. And uh, we don't call it heroin harm reduction. You know, we just call it harm reduction. And I feel like, uh, you know, by having this, you know, by, by by shifting the name, you know, just treating it as part of harm reduction, then maybe we could get more of these larger harm reduction organizations to adopt tobacco harm reduction so that that like, you know, the, these folks often facilitate trainings for like the public health agencies you, you mentioned, for example. And uh, if the if the head, you know, if the head individuals doing trainings, facilitating trainings don't believe in tobacco harm reduction, then it's just going to funnel down to the people on the ground. And, uh, you know, I definitely saw that when I was at the conference. Let's talk a little bit more about the article that you wrote on the conference. Now, first of all, we're big fans of Filter um, here at RegWatch. And <laughs> yeah, what does it mean to be a fellow at Filter? Um, and I guess, you know, you know, where does that scholarship come from and so forth? A fellowship is similar to a scholarship. Pretty much a fellowship provides financial support with no repayment requirement. And as part of the fellowship, I applied to, for funding through the independently administered tobacco harm reduction scholarship from Knowledge Action Change. So I'm essentially getting funding from Knowledge Action Change to work for Filter as a fellow, as a tobacco harm reduction writer. So uh, I'm basically like a part-time writer. And uh, I feel like I was already doing this type of work before the fellowship. So it seemed like a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, I've worked with Filter previously, really enjoy working with them. You know, I truly feel that they're an organization that, you know, upholds the principles of harm reduction in their work and the material they produce. And, uh, you know, the work-life balance is fair and the editors are phenomenal at helping writers synthesize their ideas into something captivating. And so, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Filter and uh, they, they've been very supportive with the fellowship. That's excellent. Let's dive into a couple of the quotes that you um, share from some of your conversations and experiences at that conference. Uh, first one being, you know, would you say a majority, this is my question to you, would you say a majority of your colleagues at the conference shares your views regarding THR? Now, you've already basically said no, <laughs> or mm -hmm. it's just yeah. not on the radar, is yeah. what I understand that's the yeah. case, right? Um, but yeah, so, but here's the quote, vapes, those things are horrible for you, said one conference attendee who was smoking a cigarette and asked to remain anonymous. Yes. Yeah, that to me was a was astounding. I, I, I feel like that was the most, uh, you know, the most extreme example of the uh, the misinformation as a result of like Ivali and all of this, like uh, I feel like most of my colleagues at the conference, you know, they 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 really just weren't aware of THR. Like I saw people practicing THR, they would be using their vapes and they'd say like, yeah, I used it to stop smoking, but uh, I'm not really sure if it helps or not. Like I don't know if there's evidence about it. You know, other folks I talked to. Are like you know since i started vaping i feel so much better i like i could breathe better and you know I, when i exercise my lung capacity is better but yet i they're telling me i hear all these things about heavy metals and popcorn lung and like i don't know is it worse for me is it not 
So it seems like there was a lot of people uh, scratching their head. They just weren't they weren't aware of of you know what what, what the truth associated with the Boko Haram reduction was like. So there was no evidence uh, that they had that it was safer than smoking. It was one of the comments. Uh, and then, as you said, that they didn't know whether or not popcorn lung was a reality or not. There was still some thinking that popcorn lung might be a thing. Right. And it, and it, it makes total sense. I mean, uh, for example, you, you go ahead and go on Google and you type in vaping in the United States. And most of the information you get is a... Uh, is is misinformation and most of the information it'll talk about you know vaping causes you know it's due to evali you know the popcorn lung concerns of heavy metals black market issues and personally i've had to find that you have to go outside of u.s sources to be able to find you know in my opinion more honest information about tobacco harm reduction and i feel like being in the United States, many, you know, harm reductionists, many public health agencies, they consider C the CDC to be the end all. And the CDC isn't particularly uh, keen on tobacco harm reduction, but there are other public health agencies around the world that uh, have conducted their own research and have found different findings. And I feel like, uh, you know, there's there's too much focus on the, uh, the US-centric information we need to... Uh, you know, kind of like as a movement in the THR movement and the HR movement, we need to emphasize a little less just the United States, like, you know, information and evidence. We need to branch out, maybe check out what the UK is doing, check out what Australia is doing. Like, we're so siloed here and it feels, uh, yeah, it, it, it feels like it's going to lead to something, lead to harm. There's obviously got to be some reasons why there is this disconnect. And we've certainly come across, you know, some of them while covering this issue. You have a pretty good summation in the article. And one of them being is, is that uh, many within HR forget that nicotine is a drug. Yes. And I feel like that that is definitely part in part due to our, you know, due to our culture in the, in the United States, at least, you know, nicotine, caffeine, alcohol, these typically, you know, they, they aren't considered drugs. When we talk about drugs, we always say drugs and alcohol. We never just say drugs and include a, and include a, you know, we, we never just say drugs and include alcohol. It's always separate. And I feel like, yes, that's one of the, the, one of the issues that, many within harm reduction forget that nicotine is a drug that was a that was in the article when i interviewed somebody that's actually what they told me and they work in a harm reduction organization and uh, they came to the panel and they were like yeah you know it, it made me think like wow yeah like nicotine is a drug and harm reduction is about reducing the harms associated with with drugs and uh you know the conversation we had basically yeah and with that person and other folks was uh you know we need to be under one wing we're offered the same thing and that's reducing harms due to drugs. And, you know, th th there shouldn't be so much separation. And, uh, you know, that disconnect too, and, uh, the fact that people don't consider nicotine a drug, it's a, uh, I feel like that also has to do with, with stigma, you know, like because people don't consider nicotine a drug, the stigma associated it with it is lower. You know, you could vape, you could smoke in most places and you likely won't be stigmatized but you can't inject heroin anywhere without stigmatization. But, and I understand where both sides are coming from, but my concern is that if the laws change and vapes are prohibited, 
this may look different in a few years. You know, people who vape, people who smoke may have the same supply issues as people who use other drugs today. And as harm reductionists, I feel like we need to look look at the past and the present and analyze what could occur in the future with the work we're doing today. As, as we know, restrictions today often always lead to harms in the future. It's interesting because public health has made such a big deal about nicotine being a drug. It's a drug, it's highly addictive, it da- gives you brain damage if you use it before 25, it's a drug. But yet, those who, you know, spend their entire lives fighting the war on drugs don't consider nicotine a drug. It's interesting because they consider it harmful, you know, and I, when I say they, maybe, you know, these public health agencies in the U.S., you know, they consider it harmful in the form of smoking, but when it comes to, like, nicotine replacement therapies, like patches or gums, it's still the same drug, but suddenly now it's safe. Suddenly now it's the medicine. And, you know, when you when you vape nicotine, you know, according to many sources, such as Public Health England, it's 95% safer than smoking. So, I mean, it, it just it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. It's it's very contradictory. You know, you, you see so many things on so many sides like it, it doesn't make sense to me. What about the disconnect? Could it also be coming from the fact that there is a delayed kind of response when it comes to the negative impacts from smoking, mm-hmm. whereas whereas an overdose is anything but delayed? Yes. Yeah, that, that was a, that was one of the big conversations I had at the conference, which a few folks prominent in harm reduction. So, you know, I was trying to have a conversation on how, you know, how could we address this disconnect? You know, when I was at the at the recent harm reduction conference, it was full of harm reductionists. When I went to the uh, Global Forum on Nicotine, the conference uh, last year, you know, it was full of tobacco harm reductionists. And th- there was almost no overlap. And so, as you were saying, yes, I think part of the issue is the delayed consequences of smoking versus the very immediate consequences from overdose. When I was talking to the folks at the harm reduction conference, that was one of the main concerns. You know, I think uh, I remember them saying, like, uh, you know, people in the tobacco harm reduction spaces don't care about, like, safe supply or they don't care about, like, people, you know, people you know, overdosing one day to the next. And I, you know, I I disagree with that particular part. I feel like we just need to all come to a consensus. You know, there needs to be a conversation and there needs to be stakeholders in the room. Like, you know, we need to realize that we have the same overarching goal, then why aren't we working together? I wonder also too, whether or not, um, you know, nicotine smoking specifically is seen as a tool. Uh, to be used, you know, in some recovery and so forth. Like if you look at AA, without coffee and cigarettes, there wouldn't be AA. So maybe it's just not taken seriously by HR because it's just not seen to be something that is serious. I hear it, yes. I mean, uh, in the circles, you know, in the 12-step circles, I mean, nicotine and caffeine aren't considered drugs. And you're right, you know, it's a tool. It's a tool used for many as a form of harm reduction. Sure, you know, smoking cigarettes has its harms, but if somebody is smoking a cigarette and that helps them, you know, avoid more, you know, avoid other drugs that may be more risky for them, then that's harm reduction. As somebody who's been in the rooms, you know, that, that distinction that caffeine and nicotine aren't treated like drugs, I feel like, uh, 
you know, adds to a lot of these, uh, you know, adds a lot of to a lot of these notions of, uh, you know, I didn't even consider nicotine a drug. And if you don't nic consider nicotine a drug, then why would you need to practice harm reduction with it? You know, so I feel like it's it's even more of like a, you know, it's a societal issue too, you know. But uh, you know, I've I've also just met people in the rooms who use uh vapes for harm reduction purposes. Like you know, uh, I connect with the recovery community out here pretty often, and uh, there's a lot that utilize vapes for this purpose. And I was uh surprised to know that more people in the I guess abstinent recovery community utilize vapes than those in the harm reduction communities, which is quite quite interesting to me. You know, it's funny is that I think vaping is a tool for harm reduction, not just for nicotine, but for all of the harm government does to you if you're a smoker. So there are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in tax you have to spend every single year, and it keeps going up and over and over and over again. The mental anguish that you, you're experienced, you know, by being told you're a loser and worthless as a smoker and so the harm reduction part of it of vaping is reducing that public health stigma and tax harm that comes from uh, that comes from public health and government. Yeah, because, you, you know, you type in smoking on a, you know, you go to the doctor, you say you're a smoker and suddenly you have to pay, pay a lot more money. And so I feel like that. Yeah, that's an issue, too. I mean, it's not it's not talked about at all. Like you know, in the, in the, in the harm reduction circles, like the, the impacts of smoking. And, uh, it's also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fact too, that people who use drugs often smoke at very high rates, you know, their, their prevalence of smoking is, is quite high. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that that's the most, uh, you know, the most immediate concern for these individuals, but it's just another th thing that we could reduce the harm of, you know, like the point of harm reduction, traditional harm reduction for the lack of a better word you know, is to keep somebody alive. And if somebody is alive a long time using drugs, including smoking, I mean, cancer, for example, could eventually catch up with them eventually. So it's, it's in the long term. And that's why I feel like, you know, we should be focusing on, on all the drugs when it comes to harm reduction and behaviors and stuff too. But you know, that's a whole, it's a whole thing, definitely. So Kevin, you mentioned the global forum on nicotine in Warsaw, Poland, that you were there last year. So, so were we, and of course it's coming up again this June. I believe it's actually June 21st to the 24th. Why is an event like GFN important? So for me, it's important because, you know, right now we're in a world where, uh, you know, India, they, they banned vapes in the whole country. That That's so many disastrous public health impacts. You know, throughout the world, there's just been a, an emphasis on, you know, just banning nicotine products. And I, and I feel like what I like the most about GFN was the international presence. As a person who lives in the United States, studies at a United States university, despite being in the global health and health disparities concentration, everything is so US centric. So it was so refreshing for me to hear, like hear and listen from an international perspective. It was definitely the most international conference I've been to. And hearing perspectives from different countries is, is important. You know, we have we have our own experts and we have different cultures and ideologies. And sometimes you need to pick, you know, you need to pick pieces from certain thoughts and ideologies to come to a place where we can reduce the most harm. You know, tobacco harm reduction is a global issue. People around the world smoke cigarettes, they vape, they chew. 
and many people are harmed either by the actual drug or as you mentioned by the government this is often the issue with like the war on drugs you know a lot of the harms associated with drugs come from the laws and uh, at gfn i was very surprised with how strong and tight-knit the tobacco harm reduction community was but at the same time i was also disappointed by the lack of people from the harm reduction world you know when we're comparing the national harm reduction conference and the global forum on nicotine conference it's like the there's the same overarching goals but the two communities are completely separate there's almost almost no overlap and i feel like uh there is a, quite a few of overlap with some topics as far as you know uh overall you know public health initiatives or like talking about equity issues access issues but overall it was minimal and i feel i feel like both conferences really you know gfn and nhrc you know would benefit from trying to bring in those other crowds like gfn bringing in more of the traditional hr folks you know the hr conferences bringing in more of the thr crowd and like that you know we could uh we can work together and as, as a movement to reduce harms from all these drugs, you know, and, and the laws that, you know, affect us too.